0: Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I've been thinking about this episode for a while Uh, I think it started when I was wrapping up my holiday present buying, which I actually managed to get done more than a week to spare this year, and that's not at all typical for me. I have a huge mental block about gift buying, so most years I am down to the wire, getting things at the very last minute, and feeling panicked that none of them are good enough. And so our topics for this week, people-pleasing and perfectionism. These problems are very much intertwined with each other. They are both unwinnable traps, and they are things that so many of us struggle with. Let's start with perfectionism. I've mentioned several times I consider myself a reforming perfectionist. This is something I've made a good amount of progress on, but I still have a decent amount of work yet to do. Perfectionism comes in a few different flavors, and it's not necessarily that you are one type of perfectionist or other. The same person might manifest different types of perfectionism depending on different situations and circumstances. One type is the kind where you keep thinking, if I just keep working on this, I know I can make it better. The issue with this type is that the better that you're reaching for is vague and ill defined. There's no way to know when you've achieved it. There's no way to measure how close or far you are from it. And for those exact reasons, it's always out of reach because it's just a mental construct. A vague and undefined better is by definition unreachable. It's sort of like tomorrow. It's never tomorrow. It's always today. Another flavor of perfectionism is kind of the opposite. In this version, there actually are real and specific goals, but they're accompanied by the belief that if they are not met exactly every single time, then you're a failure. This is a really rigid way of thinking, and it guarantees a sense of failure at least some of the time, because life doesn't allow us to do everything according to exact plans. Life is messy sometimes. Another variation on this is, again, having real and specific goals, but instead of reasonable ones that you think you need to meet every single time, this is someone who has extremely lofty goals. You have the belief that these goals are the gold standard and you need to aim for them, even if the amount of time or effort it would take to achieve them is completely unreasonable. So basically, you're believing that there's a right way to do something and you're very clear on exactly what that is, but it also happens to be something highly unrealistic to achieve, at least on a regular basis. Along those lines, I was teaching an EMR efficiency class the other day, and one of the docs attending the class was really stressed out about an upcoming rule that we will have to have our charts closed in a timely fashion or there will be financial penalties. Now, I'm just going to add here that the rules around this are more than reasonable. There is a ton of leeway, and if you're aiming for good patient care, you'd really want your charts closed well before these deadlines. But anyway, this particular doc is a subspecialist, and when he sees a patient for a consult, there are always labs and other tests that need to be completed before he's really able to wrap up the diagnosis and plan. He also has created a belief that he can't close his chart from the initial consult visit until all of those tests are completed, because if he doesn't have every single data point in that one note, then the note is worthless. This has created quite a problem for him, as you can imagine, since patients don't usually have their labs done immediately and scheduling tests take time. And sometimes people forget and they need phone calls and reminders, and sometimes it takes a long time for results to come in. So in the current state, his charting is chaos. I mean, just imagine of it. Every note stays open until he has every single data point, but how do you even know? When you have all those data points, like a result comes into your inbox, how would you know, oh, that was the last thing I'm missing for, you know, patient number 300 of all the open charts I have. Now I can go back and close that. I I can't even imagine what his inbox looks like. So, of course, he feels completely out of control. And now he's adding on the prospect of getting fined for this. But he believes that he has no choice because he believes there's no other way to properly perform a consult. So no wonder he's stressed. But luckily, after some initial resistance, he was actually able to get himself to a place of being open to hearing different workflows. So the other proctors and I were able to show him a lot of different ways of making sure that all of the relevant data gets synthesized as it becomes available and how to keep track of outstanding tests without a whole lot of clutter in his inbox, and being able to feel good about closing his charts on time. Can you imagine if he hadn't been willing to question his beliefs? His perfectionism, believing that there's only one way to do it and you have to do it this way, would have kept him trapped in a cycle of inevitable misery. He had specific measurable goals, but they were completely unattainable. He was already feeling powerless because his goals were so hard to achieve, actually impossible to achieve. And I imagine that adding fines to that would have made him feel insulted or disrespected or abused. Can you see how our perfectionism can create so many problems for us in academic medicine? This is just one example. Think about all the other ways this creeps in. And people-pleasing. Just like I've said several times that I'm a reforming perfectionist, I know I've also mentioned at least a few times that I'm not quite there yet with people-pleasing. I vacillate between pre-contemplative and contemplative. Here's what people-pleasing is about. The first part is, you behave in a certain way because you believe your actions will create happiness for another person or people. The second part is that you then use your assessment of what you think you've created for the other person in terms of their feelings, and then you judge yourself based on that. So there are two basic problems with this. The first is that you can't predict or control what other people are going to think and feel, so you can't make anyone feel anything. The second part is that if you rely on other people to create your own happiness, That's a very unpredictable and powerless way to live your life. One reason we fall into this trap is that sometimes the cause and effect plays out exactly how you think it will many times in a row. So you get tricked into believing that you actually have control over other people's feelings. Think about Pavlov's dogs. They think bell means food, but it doesn't. Someone giving them food means food. But he trained them first to associate the bell with forthcoming food, so in our human interpretation of a dog brain, we suspect they think bell means food. As a quick aside, I saw a meme the other day that said, I wonder if every time Pavlov hears a bell, he thinks about feeding his dogs. But anyway, another reason we fall prey to the lure of people-pleasing is that it feels good when we think we've helped someone and we're programmed to seek out things that make us feel good. So of course we keep coming back to that. That's the seek pleasure part of the motivational triad. And the flip side of that is the belief that if people aren't happy, they will abandon us. So of course we try to prevent that from happening. That's the avoid pain part of the motivational triad. The thing that brings them both together, perfectionism and people-pleasing, is that many of us, me included, have a hidden belief that it's somehow our responsibility to make other people happy. I think being in medicine probably reinforces this. I don't think it's what drives us to go into medicine. I just think that any career path with a large focus on helping people might subtly emphasize this. If it's literally my job to help people, it stands to reason that I might also believe it's my job to make them happy. So the two concepts come together when someone has people pleasing in their perfectionist goals, whether they're aware of it or not. If you think it's your responsibility to keep your patients or your coworkers or whomever happy, and that you're somehow a failure if you can't achieve this, well, guess what? You're gonna think you're a failure sometimes, maybe a lot of the time. The other place I see this outside of work is with parents, especially when they buy into the saying, you can only be as happy as your least happy child. Hear me out, that is a terrible thing to believe. If this is what you believe, then you don't ever get to be happy unless all of your children are simultaneously happy. Not only do you not have control over your own emotions, it also kinda suggests that it's somehow wrong for our children to ever be unhappy. But they're supposed to be unhappy sometimes, because life is not happy all the time. You can't even know what happy feels like unless you're unhappy sometimes. Now, rejecting that belief that you can only be as happy as your least happy child, it doesn't mean that you can't still be sad with your kids when they're sad and have empathy or worry about them when they're going through rough times. It just means letting go of the idea that you have to feel whatever they're feeling by proxy. Okay, so let me give an overly simplistic, but actually real-life example of how trying to people-please can bite you in the butt. I don't think I've told this story before, but if I have, I apologize. Once when my husband was a kid, his mom, I'm pretty sure she had been working all night and was tired and crabby, and she was making cookies and accidentally burned them. She was going to throw them out, and he stopped her and said, no, I like them that way. I think... He thought, well, you know, maybe that'll cheer her up, and he didn't want her to feel bad. Well, from then on, she always burned every batch of cookies because she thought that would make him happy. This went on for years, actually decades. She would intentionally burn the cookies, and then he would force them down because after a while, he didn't feel like he could back out of it. I'm pretty sure he was somewhere in his 30s before he finally confessed. The lesson here is that you may be doing something to make someone happy, and you might be thinking that it's working, and in reality, the exact opposite could be going on. Now, the upshot of this situation is that my husband and I made a pact with each other very early in our relationship that if one of us cooks a meal that the other doesn't like or buys a present that they don't like, we always say so right away. We thank them for the effort. We are genuinely appreciative of the thought, but we just explain that wasn't for me. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about how people pleasing plays out in academic medicine. Let's say you're in a leadership role and also engaging in people pleasing. You will undoubtedly have decisions to make from time to time. And those decisions will come with the possibility that some folks will not like what you chose. The higher you are on the leadership totem pole and the higher the stakes of the decision and the more people it will affect, the more chance there will be that some people will be unhappy. And if you've been in leadership for any time at all, you'll be very aware of that fact as you're trying to make your decision. Coming from a people-pleasing mindset, you might be thinking thoughts like these. I can't find a way to make everyone happy. People are going to hate me for this. People are going to quit over this. I'm going to lose support from my colleagues. I'm going to lose my position. This is a no-win situation. Thoughts like that, right? Well, thoughts like that are likely to make you feel emotions like insecure, anxious, helpless, discouraged, inadequate. And emotions like those tend to lead to actions like perseverating, procrastinating, making endless internal lists of all the bad things that will happen when people don't like your decision, spinning an indecision, etc. What those emotions don't position you to do is things like carefully weighing the pros and cons of the options rationally evaluating the needs of the people involved in the choice that's most likely to meet those needs or creatively searching for an option that's not yet presented that might be better than any of the ones you're looking at things like that to get to those types of actions you'd need to be feeling emotions like competent empowered resolute discerning things like that And the thoughts that come from people-pleasing mindsets are just never gonna give you those types of feelings. You'd need a whole new set of thoughts for that. While only you can come up with the exact thought that will work for you, having a coach help you through this can give you a big boost. A coach can give suggestions for you to try out in your head and see if they fit and then revise them or reject them as you please. And if you're not in a leadership position, Just think through, anyway, all the downstream impacts of when you're trying to people-please in your job. No matter what the scenario is, the bottom line is that the thoughts and emotions that drive your actions will be ones aimed at producing an outcome that you think will make someone happy, which may or may not correspond at all with what you think in your heart is the best thing to do. And once again, because I can't stress this enough you just can't control other people's emotions. You could give someone a million dollars, no strings attached, and there's bound to be someone out there who'd find fault with that and be mad at you because of it. So right about now, you might be wondering why I'm still pre-contemplative or contemplative if I can so clearly explain why this is an unhelpful way to behave. Well, it's because I'm human just like you. I've worked on it enough that I have a decent understanding of which of those reasons I listed is what's driving me and why it's an issue for me. I can even acknowledge in my rational brain that it's an exercise in futility. But as of now, it's still got at least one good root in my limbic system. We've all met a cardiologist who smokes, right? It doesn't mean they're a bad cardiologist. They just have some work to do on themselves, just like we all do. Last thoughts on these topics. Some of you might be thinking if I try to drop the perfectionism, won't I just turn into a complete slacker with no work ethic? And if I drop the people pleasing, does that give me license to just be a selfish jerk and not even consider the impact of my actions on others? Doubtful. You didn't get this far in life without having the skills and discipline to be able to try new things without totally losing yourself. And none of you are slackers or selfish jerks. You wouldn't be here if you were. Dropping perfectionism doesn't mean you stop having goals and constantly striving for improvement. Dropping people-pleasing doesn't mean disregarding what course of action will have the most positive impact for everyone involved. In fact, sometimes it even makes it easier for you to identify that. There's a big difference between doing something with the intent for benefit to all accepting that this may or may not make everyone happy, versus doing something with no regard to people's feelings at all. We still want to care. We just don't want that to be the primary goal that's driving everything. And along those lines, if someone does express to us that they feel hurt or upset by something we said or did, we want to absorb that information and learn from it. Maybe reflecting on a situation that led to someone feeling hurt might make us decide we'd handle it differently in the future. Maybe it wouldn't. Now, all of you listening know that your own thoughts are what create your feelings, but most people don't know that. Taking ownership of your own feelings is your business. Other people might not be that far in their personal growth journey as you are. If someone comes to me and says, you know, what you said really hurt my feelings, I'm not going to try and teach them, no, your thoughts about what I said hurt your feelings. Of course not, unless they've hired me as a coach. If they haven't, it's not my business to coach them. It's my business to care about them as a human and acknowledge the impact of my actions on others, even if it's indirect, and reevaluate whether I still think that was the best course. So if you think you might be ready to start working on your perfectionism or your people-pleasing, give it a try and see what happens. And if you'd like some help coaching to get you through it, come visit me at whitecoatlifecoach.com and schedule a free consult. Thanks for listening. I will see you back next time. opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.